the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses has been giving his goodbye speech to the nation of Israel just before they begin their journey of conquering the Promised Land. God reminds them through Moses that they were to love God supremely and to obey his word once they were in the land of promise. After several speeches, God will now list out the blessings of following him and the curses of disobeying him as part of their covenant. We join Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. And so as we, we near the end, and the Lord still has good things for us to apply to our lives. And chapter 28 is a rough chapter, but there are definitely things the Lord would desire to speak to us if we have ears to hear. Remember the whole theme of, of Deuteronomy is loving God supremely. That's what Moses is trying to get through to the people, that after he's gone, they need to love God supremely if they're going to go and take the land and then succeed you know, in the land and prosper there and experience all God has for them. And last week we saw the conditions that would result in God's blessing, that if they obeyed the Lord because they loved him supremely, then he would bless them. And then we also saw, though, the conditions that would result in God's judgment if they specifically, areas where they specifically disobeyed the Lord. Well, today Moses will explain in detail what God's blessings will be and what God's judgment will be if they obey or if they don't obey in these areas. More time is spent on the judgment part than the blessing part. Even though that's the case, my heart tonight is that both the blessings and the curses will be reminders to us to make it important each day to love God supremely in our own lives, to choose life to choose God's blessing upon us. So chapter 28, we begin in verse one and we start with God's promised blessings. It says, and it shall come to pass that if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command you this day, that the Lord your God will set you on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. And we've already known this, but Moses again reiterates the condition for God's blessings. They need to hearken diligently to his voice. It means to hear with attention or interest. They can't just hear it and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to really pay attention to what God's saying. And then they need to observe to do it, all his commandments which are commanded this day. Again, observe there means to exercise great care over something. They need to make God's commandments important. So they need to listen to them, make sure they understand them, and then they need to make sure that they make them important in their lives. And if that happens, he says, I will set you on high above all nations on the earth. They'll be the best nation on the earth. And all these blessings that he's about to mention, he says, they'll not only come on you, but they'll overtake you. The word there means you'll experience more than you need. Not only will this come upon you, but you'll have have such an abundance, you'll have more than you need. And then it says again, if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. That word if, it's mentioned four times in these first 14 verses that give the blessings. Four times. Now, again, that shows the conditional nature of the old covenant. If Israel would obey God's commands, if they'd keep his statutes, if they'd love him supremely, then they would be happy and blessed. But if not, then they'd be miserable and wiped out, as the curses explain. 
our covenant with God doesn't work that way. Look at Galatians chapter 3. It's important for me to point this out because we can read through this and very easily get condemned. And we need to understand that we do have a better deal with God. Galatians 3 verse 10. It lists out how the old covenant worked. For as many as are of the works of the law, they are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. He's quoting Deuteronomy there. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it's evident, it's clear. Because the just shall live by faith. That's what the word says. And the law is not of faith, but rather the man that does them shall live by them. That's how the law works. Christ, he has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us. So none of these curses would apply to us so that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of God's spirit through faith. Look at James chapter 2. Verse 10, James, he's a, he was a man of the law. James understood it. They called him a very devout man because how well he kept God's commandments. He understood, though, how the law worked. He said in verse 10 of James 2, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one, one thing, he's guilty of it all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. So now if you commit no adultery, but if you kill, you become a transgressor of the law and you fall under that judgment. So speak you and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty then. Don't live that way because if you live that way, you're going to blow it somehow. Rather, live in such a way to be judged by the new covenant, the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy who has showed no mercy. If you're going to live under the law and that's how you're going to go, it's got to be this way, my way, that's it. Then, you know, welcome to failure. But rather, mercy triumphs over justice. See, God knew that we couldn't do it. So he sent Jesus and gave us a better deal, one of mercy, right? We have a better deal. We have the law of liberty. As we look here in Deuteronomy 28, verses one and two, we see here what they're supposed to do. Should we diligently pay attention to God's word? Certainly. Should we, as Christians, obey God? Should we make it important to do that? You bet. And does God bless us when we obey him? The answer to every one of those questions is an emphatic yes. But we obey and love God because we are already blessed. We obey and love God because we're already saved. Not to get saved or stay that way. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. With that understanding, we go back now to the old covenant. This is how it applied to Israel, and this is what they had to do. And if they did that, God in verses three through six, he gives a general description of what the blessing will be like. He says, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your ground, the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. Blessed shall be your basket and your store. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Very general picture of how the blessing would be. Now the word there blessed means to experience divine favor from God. You'll experience God's favor upon your life, God's grace, God's blessing, the idea of just God's goodness in your life that he will have his hand upon you. In fact, the word blessed is a picture word. It's a picture of someone of lower authority kneeling before someone of greater authority to receive something that's awesome from them. That's a cool picture, isn't it? I'm not the Lord. I couldn't you know, hold a candle to the Lord, but here I am. And the Lord says, I want to give something to you. I mean, that's what he's doing with Israel. So here they are bowing before the Lord saying, you're going to be our God. And the Lord's saying, that's awesome, but I want to do something even more awesome for you. And he says, this is what I'll do. I'm going to bless you. And so that's how their life will be. It'll be that way in the city. It'll be that way in the field. It'll be that way with the fruit of their body, their children, their crops, their livestock, and even the children of their livestock. All those things will experience God's divine favor. Blessed will be your basket and your store. The store there refers to the, the kneading trough. So from the time of the gathering, 
gathering to the baking of the bread and serving it, all of that will be blessed. He says, when you go out, you'll be blessed. When you come in, you'll be blessed. It reminds me of Psalm 23, verse 6, where David said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, right? That's kind of what God's saying here. That's what I'll do. Surely goodness and mercy, it'll follow you wherever you go. God's favor will be upon you. Now, what would that look like specifically? Well, in verse seven, Moses explains. He says, number one, in war, God's favor will be upon you. He says in verse seven, the Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. That's a powerful phrase. It means not just that you defeat them, but you rout them. I mean, it will be an overwhelming victory that you will have over them. He says that they will come out against you from one direction, but they'll be fleeing before you seven different directions. Absolute rout, absolute chaos, total and complete military victory when you go to battle. That's a good thing. Verse eight says, you'll experience this in your work environment. He says, the Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouses. That's where you would store your crop. You know, you have to realize things are different back then. People didn't have a fridge. They didn't have a place to store food because most food couldn't be stored. So the idea is if you have storage for food, it means you're prosperous. Things are good. In your work, he says, I'm gonna prosper you. And and in all that you set your hand to do, whatever kind of work you do, my hand's gonna be upon you and it's gonna prosper you. He shall bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives to you. Not only that, but you'll be blessed in your relationship with him. He says in verse nine, the Lord shall establish you a holy people unto himself, just like he promised you, if you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God and to walk in his ways. He will confirm that you're a holy people unto himself. He will make that known to other people, that you're a nation that's dedicated to serving him. You will bear his marks in all that you do, just as God promised That's kind of a unique nation, isn't it? We think of certain nations, we think, well, they're known for their oil or they're known for this or they're known for that. But this nation would be known for the fact that they had a relationship with God, that his his very imprint was upon their lives. Favor would be upon them. Next, it says they'd be respected by other nations. It says in verse 10, and all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. To be called by the name of the Lord means you'll be known as God's special people. You'll be designated that way. See, if Israel obeyed God, they kept his commands, they'd look like the Lord, right? I mean, here's the Lord's character. Here's how he is. And so if they obeyed God, they would look like him. And so in looking like him, no matter how strong their military was, that wouldn't terrify people. It would terrify their neighbors and discourage anyone from invading or fighting against them would be the fact that their lives showed that their God was real. So they might look at it and go, yeah, militarily, we can take Israel. We've got more chariots than they do. We've got more soldiers than we do. We've got better training than they do. But they would look and they go, yeah, but these guys have the Lord. Like they've got a real God on their side. Oh yeah, but we've got Molech. Everybody knew that was a sham. It didn't change anybody's life. They would go and they'd do their thing and then they'd go and be disappointed when he wouldn't show up. So when they would go out there, remember when the Philistines went out, the Israelites brought the Ark of the Covenant with them? It says they looked at each other and said, we're dead men. The Lord's come to fight with them. He's real. Our gods aren't. And so they said, you better fight like men. Now, what they didn't know is Israel was in disobedience to God. They were in unbelief. They were in rebellion towards God. Didn't matter they brought the ark out. And so the Philistines whooped them. But the point was, is if they would see it in their lives, they would know it doesn't matter if we outnumber them 15 to one. We're dead men because God's fighting with them because we know he's real. He's not a phony like the gods of all the other nations. And you know, that's a great thought. I want people to see that God's real from looking at my life. Don't you? Can people see that Jesus is, is real, that he's not just a religious thing we do from looking at our lives? Am I just another set of religious beliefs to others? I don't want that. 
I don't generally like it when I hear this phrase, but it does encourage me. I'll hear people say, unbelievers say, you know, I've not met a Christian like you before. It encourages me because it shows that they're seeing something in me that's not me. They're seeing Christ somewhere. It discourages me that they've seen something else from Christians. But that's what I want. In verse 11, not only would God, you know, his favor be upon them in war and their work and their relationship with him and having respect from other nations, but they would be prosperous in their trade with other nations. He says in verse 11, and the Lord shall make you plenteous in goods. That's a a bad translation. It means to have leftovers of good things. So it's not leftover lima beans, it's leftover steak, man. Now, if you like lima beans, I'll take your steak. It's all good. But the idea is you won't have an abundance of something that's not considered valuable. You'll be plenteous in things that sell really well. You'll be plenteous of overflow or leftovers of things that are valuable. And so as a result, it says, you know, it'll be that way in the fruit of your body. Your kids, man, they'll have skill sets that nobody else has. The fruit of your cattle, man, the offspring of your cattle and of your crops and the land which the Lord swear to give to you, it's going to be the best stuff out there. And why? Because the Lord, verse 12, will open unto you his good treasure. And what is it? The heavens to give the rain unto your land in a season and to bless all the work of your hand. And as a result, you shall lend unto many nations. You shall not borrow and the Lord shall make you the head, not the tail. You're the one that drives the market. You shall be above only. You'll be on top. You will not be beneath. And here's the if again, if you shall hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you this day and to observe and to do them, to make them important and to follow through in your life. I think it's cool here that God speaks of his good treasure, his good storehouse, that he keeps good things for his people. Because God also speaks of a different storehouse, right? Remember he says he keeps his hail, a special brand of hail mingled with fire, right? We talked about it when God judged Egypt. We'll talk about it when we get into the conquering of the promised land, where God, he opens up his storehouse of this supernatural hail. It comes down, and as soon as that little snowball hits the ground, fire spits out everywhere. Our government couldn't come up with anything that powerful militarily. This stuff is crazy. And so the Lord says, I have that, but isn't it cool to see that he has a good storehouse too, full of life-giving rain that the promised land needs to thrive? It's interesting. I haven't completed my research on it, but as I was going through this, I had a thought and I started looking at some scripture. I'm like, it looks like it works out. So you can do the homework for me. But you know, Israel in the land today, God promised that he would make the land to blossom when Israel was restored to the land, that he would make it to blossom. And yet, they would be there in unbelief. So what's interesting about Israel right now is they are a major exporter of tons of crops. They have used so much of that land to make it just blossom. But you know what they still don't have? Rain. They still don't have the rain. They had one of their worst seasons this year, our tour guide was telling us. Now, what is the condition for rain? Obedience obedience. They're there in unbelief. So God is fulfilling prophecy because he loves them and he made promises to their forefathers, but the rain hasn't come because they're not there in obedience. They're not following the Lord. So having done all this, now Moses in verse 14 says, you need to stick to it. Having done all this and experienced God's blessing, you can't slack up. You can't compromise. You can't lose focus on loving God supremely. In verse 14, he says, and you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day. I don't care if it's 20 years later, 40 years later, 60 years later, 600 years later. Do not turn aside to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. 
Moses reiterates here that every one of God's commands were important. No deviation could be tolerated in their lives. No idols could be entertained. We need to have the same mindset toward obedience because loving God supremely is our goal too. Even if we don't have the same covenant, we still want to obey God. We we need to obey God. We want to experience his blessing. We want to love him supremely. This is reflected in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the better covenant that we have with God. These truths that we need to love God supremely, that we need to obey God, and yet we have a better covenant. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Because we're about to get into the curses if they don't obey God. Now, 1 John 2, John says, my little children, these things write I unto you that you don't sin. That's the goal. The goal is to never sin. The goal is to walk in obedience to God, right? But here it is. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation. He satisfies all God's anger, all God's righteous demands for our sin. And it's not for our sins only, but for also the sins of the whole world. We have a better deal. We don't experience these curses from our disobedience. Do we experience God's discipline when we disobey him? Maybe not right away, but if we persist in our disobedience, he'll discipline us. God disciplines his kids because the Bible says that a loving parent disciplines their children. If you have kids and you're not disciplining them, you don't have any boundaries for them or you're not enforcing those boundaries, you're not loving your kids. One of the biggest things that children need is boundaries. They need consistency. They need to know how the world works. And so it's your job to teach them. And I know that's hard sometimes. I was talking to a dad this morning, and he said, man, this is all week long. All week long, you got the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. It's funny, I was talking to my sister last week, and we were talking about how as parents, we think, man, how many times do I got to tell you this? And then we hear the Lord's gentle, still, small voice. Yeah, how many times do I got to tell you that, Will? I think, ah, oh, you did that on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> I am thoroughly convinced that children exist to show me just how much God loves me because he doesn't struggle. He doesn't struggle parenting me. He doesn't ever think to himself, I've had it. I'm done. I'm just ignoring it. He doesn't ever think to himself, you know what? Now I'm going to do something. That's just not how he works. As a mom and a dad, I encourage you, set boundaries, you know, and stick to them and discipline your kids because as you do so, they will be better off for it. And praise the Lord, though, that he disciplines us to keep us close. He disciplines us to keep us out of trouble because he loves us. Now, Israel didn't have our deal with God. So if they did deviate from this path, then God's judgment would come upon them. And so we get to verse 15 back in Deuteronomy 28. And now we see God's promised curses. So Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. These are all the same words from verses 1 and 2. If you won't pay close attention to what God says, to observe to do all his commandments, to make them important in your life this day, then all these curses shall come upon you and they'll overtake you. In other words, you don't pay close attention to what God says. If you don't make God's commands important in your life, then you'll experience even more of God's judgment than you could ever conceive of happening to you. You think of what might happen to you, the Lord's going to do even more what he says. And so when we get to this section, it's way larger. This chapter is 68 verses long, and most of it deals with the curses. So just like we had in the first part with the blessings, in verses 16 through 20, we get a general description of what that cursed life will be. He says in verse 16, cursed shall you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the field, cursed shall be your basket and your store, cursed shall be the fruit of your body, the offspring of your body, the offspring of your land, the offspring of your flocks and of your cattle and of your sheep. Cursed shall you you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. Note, it's the exact opposite of the description of blessing. Like you almost, as you read through this, you kind of want to start cueing the creepy music, right? You know, like you read through it like, oh, this is great. But if you don't do this, you know, and then you know, I mean, it just, it's eerie how it's the exact opposite to the extreme of how God wanted to bless them. 
And God does that. In fact, Hebrew culture, actually really just all Middle Eastern culture, they, they find beauty or meaning in contrast. And so here the Lord, he says, this is the awesomeness of blessing. This is the horribleness of my divine judgment. That's why we must choose life. It's far better than this. Don't choose this. Choose life. And yet it gets worse. You know, he says everything but the opposite. But then in verse 20, he adds to it and he says, just like he said he would, it'll overtake you. And the Lord shall send upon you cursing, bad things. Vexation, it means confusion, implying turmoil and panic, a life like that. And rebuke, it just means a state of life that's just off. Not the way God intends life and society to be. Everything's just skewed a little bit. Everything's just off. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, we're living in it now. Now, we aren't covenant people as the United States. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. The world isn't in covenant with God like Israel was. But Proverbs 13, 34 does apply to all nations. Righteousness exalts a nation, but wickedness is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a people, but wickedness is a reproach. Another translation says disgrace. It's very similar to this word here. Wickedness will turn society into something that's off. It'll turn society into something that's askew in a nation. And so that's why we see this in our nation right now. We've not chosen life. You know, our culture, in many ways, on some ways, the church has chosen things that are disobedient to God. And as a result, our nation is askew. How's God going to bring this about, this askew situation, this horrible cursing upon the nation? Well, he explains. First off, it'll be through physical illnesses. In verses 21 and 22, he says, The Lord shall make the pestilence, disease, cleave to you until he has consumed you from off the land whither you go to possess it. You ever had like an illness that just kept passing through your family? You know, everyone's just giving it to each other. You know, tis the season. That's not fun, right? I mean, it's just hard to get anything accomplished because someone's always sick. Could you imagine a culture that's just sick like that? He goes on, he says, the Lord shall smite you with a consumption, that's tuberculosis, with a fever, with an inflammation, and with extreme burning, it means scorching heat, with a sword, war, with blasting, that's a plant disease that makes your crops rot, with mildew, same type of thing, and they shall pursue you until you perish. You will not be able to escape anywhere from these things. God says, I will bring physical illness to your land. He says, he'll bring drought. Look at verse 23. And the heaven that is over your head, it shall be like brass. I mean, could you imagine if someone just put a big old brass container around, around the sky? No rain would get through. There's no way it's getting through. He says, and the earth that is under you shall be like iron. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't tend to go find a big chunk of iron and go, great, wonderful farmland. Let's put a garden in the backyard where the big iron sheet is on the ground. You look for fertile ground, or you make the ground fertile. Or it says, I'll make it iron under you so you can't plant anything. And the Lord shall make the rain of your land powder, soot. In other words, it'll be so dry, there'll be wildfires. And he says, dust. From heaven shall it come down upon you until you be destroyed. Now, it's interesting, again, again, my study's not complete, but we went over to Israel both times I was there, they said, you know, we apologize for some of the views because we've got these campsins. And that's an Arabic name for these dust storms that they get. And again, it's because there's no rain. You know, the rainfall is minimal over in Israel. Israel's become one of the leading scholars in, in how they do desalinization because they, they need water and they don't have any because the rain is just not there. They're in drought still. So part of God's judgment. You know, again, God's fulfilling prophecy by keeping his word, but Israel's there in disobedience. So they still don't have the rain. They have the Kamsons instead, just like God said. 
So there'll be drought. He'll bring about this cursed condition through drought. He'll bring it about through invasion. Look at verse 25. And the Lord shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies. Cue the creepy music again. It's the exact opposite. The Lord shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them, but you'll flee seven ways before them. And you'll be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. That is also, again, a bad translation. God will mention that particular judgment later, that he'll remove them from the land. But that's not what this means. Literally, it says, you'll become a ball for all the kingdoms of the earth to be played with. And when you read the book of Judges, that's exactly what happened. We do not have the same covenant as God gave to the nation of Israel. That means the blessings and curses listed out here in Deuteronomy chapter 28 do not pertain to us. But God does give us the blessing of knowing Him and being known by Him as we choose to trust and obey every day. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.